0: Hello friends and welcome to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 158. Our guests today are a husband and wife team located in Thailand and are amazing horsemen. From training horses to trimming feet, they really have all the skills and scope it takes to provide horses with the best possible care. As you can imagine, quality hoof care providers are pretty rare in Thailand. And after a competent farrier was found in Korea that used to come over for doing horses, our guests were able to take on the skill their own during COVID when travel was not possible. So here to tell us some amazing stories about horses and their business and how they met here is Desiree who also goes by Miley and her husband Cheyenne. I would love to hear about how the two of you found yourself in the equestrian world.
1: Uh, Cheyenne, you wanna start?
2: No, well, long story short, I am also a professional helicopter pilot and I was flying in Florida. And before that, I was in South Africa. i always been busy with the horses, obviously, but this is something I wanted to do on the side. And I ended up leaving Florida, the Space Coast, for Chesapeake, Virginia. And I came there with some vets saw me when I was doing shows in Europe, and they wanted me to have a look at their horses. Hmm. So it started as a occasional little clinic-type thing, and... Before I knew it, I was in Chesapeake full time, pretty much, and I was staying with them, uh, taking care of two of their horses, and I had a um, whole house for myself, and I had my hands full. I had lots of lessons, lots of horses coming out of the woodwork with no time, so I helped a bunch of people, and one day, Miley came to Deseret, into the barn to also wanting to take lessons. So, we worked out a deal and she started to take lessons in exchange for working, doing some, performing some work at the ranch. And we became friends and two years, two and a half years. And one day out of the blue, well, I was, I was, I have friends who are on the catemar of uh, with very good friends of mine. And one of them, was the head writer over there, and he decided to retire, and ended up visiting a friend of his, who's François de Ruffia, who was also in of Samir, and a few years, about twenty years ago, moved to the U.S. So even more than that, and ended up in Boynton Beach. So François called me up and said, "Hey, uh, Jean-Louis." is retiring it's been 45 years in the kind of north spent like some holidays he really wants to uh, hang out with you and i want to hang out with you come on come on over so i left uh, desiree to hang out in, in <laughs> chesapeake and hold the fort and take over all my lessons mm-hmm. with the horses in training but by now she knew pretty much what i expected of her to do and it was a good thing for her to start to do that it was time for her to start to do something more and i was supposed to be gone for a week it became three weeks so all this time she had to take care of the horses who were in training giving the lessons and three weeks is a long time you know when you have that amount of horses in training and lessons it is not there's not a lot of time to scratch her back especially she knows the standard the standard at which i teach and people don't leave until they've learned something and they've right. acquired not serious knowledge. I'm not no pun intended, but I'm not one of those Yahoo teacher who decided, oh gee, I can't plumb, I can't do electricity, I can't do well maybe I've become a horse teacher. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: <It's>
2: not <laughs> it. Right. I was I was taught by somebody who was from the Catherine myself when I was young. Well first I started to ride a pony like like a kid on the res mm-hmm. and but when I Got to France with my mom. I found a barn, obviously, and I started to go there and, and changing work in the barn for lessons. And the guy was no O'Connell, retired from somewhere. And yeah, it, was, it was not the kind of gentle, easygoing fellow. Either you walked or you died. Mm. <laughs> it was nothing much in between. Yeah. And, but he was a very cool guy. I mean, if you did well, it did well. If you decided to cry, which is, you know, like, it n- never happened to me, but I'd seen kids crying and the parents being all up in arms about it. And he was like, if, okay, it's go, go, girl, not cry, cry. <laughs> you, you can't handle it. Just take the kid home. And they say, well, we can't just, no, no." And the guy never did it for money. The mm-hmm. guy never did it for money. He was retired from the sum from, from Samur. He was uh, a prestigious writer and he did that because he wanted to teach kids how to ride so there was the money was was not an object so he would just be himself very i think it's a very good thing lots of ethics and you had to work and you had to mm-hmm. know your stuff there was no oh, i'm just coming to ride somebody saw up your horse and do a couple rounds around People and your hair look great today mm-hmm. compliment from the hairdresser no not so good. <laughs> <laughs> you had to pull your away And we were a lot of time, like 16 guys, you know, doing that a lot of time, 16 guys into an arena. There was not a lot of girls riding when I was there at the time when I was a kid. And there were competition, you know, every year. And we every time we'd take it, you know, we'd win. But it's not because we were slacking. Obviously. So anyway, I knew those guys from Sumir and those friends. So I went there, came back three weeks later. She had to hold up all the stuff. She had to keep the lesson up to standard, the training of the horses to standard. That's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. So we were on our way. And it was on Tuesday or something, you know, to a customer again. And she was unusually quiet in the car. It's never a good thing. <laughs> so she was like, okay, yep. Kind of short. And like, I was like, I was thinking, you know, I got three weeks. So it three weeks, supposed to be a week, you know, I'm going to get it at some point. (laughs) And uh, she was like, you need to pull over. I was like, here we go. So I know I pretty much, I'm pretty sure I can answer your question while driving. So no, 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 for this one, you need to pull over. I was like, oh, here we go. All right. So I pull over. And she was, okay, no jokes. I'm not joking. I'm not, I'm not making any jokes. It's like, okay, would you marry me? That was like, what?
1: Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Are you serious?
2: It was like, "That serious. Uh, well, we never kiss, we never hug, we never, she says, that's not important. Compatibility of people.
1: Details. Those are details. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are details.
2: (laughs) The compatibility of people is not necessarily judging a bedroom. And I was like, yeah, no, I got that. But I mean, you know, and um, I'm very flattered. But, you know, I'm 23 years older than you. So yes and no thank you. And you need to rephrase that in six months. We'll talk about it. And then, I don't know. Two weeks later, or three weeks later, we're picking up something from Home Depot for for the barn or whatever, and got the little bite on the way back, and we're back in the car, and she kissed me, and mm-hmm. the rest is history. We've been together ever wow. since.
1: That's such, wow! You. Such an amazing
0: story.
2: Yeah, almost twelve years. Old. Yep.
0: So cool, Desiree. What's your side of the story, and how did you kind of first happen upon the horse world, and and get to where you are today?
1: So. Getting into the horse world for me was difficult. As a kid, it was just not accessible. I grew up in a very rough neighborhood, <laughs> and it wasn't anywhere near horses. It wasn't until I became a teenager that I started working. We moved out to the country, my family, and I started working at a meat goat farm to make money. And I'd always had a affinity for animals, always loved them, any, any dog, Bird, horse. If I could be around them, I was going to be around them. So that had always been there. But I started working at the meat goat farm, and it was very, very hard work. I, I mean, there was there was no there was no giveaways or anything. Mm-hmm. But the man, the the ranch owner, Mister Holland. I'll never forget him. He was amazing. He was so kind to me. He introduced me to other people in the area so that I could make a little extra money working at different facilities and one of those facilities happened to be a horse farm it's just a small boarding facility and i had never even put a halter on a horse at that point and i was 16 years old and i just fell in love and it was hard work there was no there was no riding there was no like there was just here's here's a horse Take care of it. Clean the clean the poop, please. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's where I started, and I wanted more. So then I started. You know, as a kid, I had to figure out how to get a horse, and got my first horse instead of a car. I got a I got a horse for my sixteenth birthday. I bought myself a, a little pony of America. That her owner had died, and they were just trying to get rid of her. She was barely broken and like eight years old hmm so that was my first experience of course no tack no no equipment uh whatsoever so here's a pony figure it out you're right so i wanted it i think we went backwards for a whole year before I, we learned <laughs> how to go forward Uh-huh. and trust me i ate a lot of dirt there was there was no like i still i i'm still eating dirt <laughs> but uh, yeah it I'm was it was it was, it was definitely a long road and I had to work for it, but it made it all the better. I learned a lot. I learned of what to do and what not to do. And I know that if I could last all of those years doing the work that I had put into it, that it was, it was my passion.
0: Definitely. Yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. And then tell me about those three weeks where you... Kind of took over Shine's program and had to do, you know, really wear all of the hats. What was that like for you?
1: So I'd already been a kind of self-sustaining person at this time. I mm-hmm. had my own little like ranch sitting business, cool, where I just go and babysit people's farms for them. So I did meat goats. I was mostly primarily good with the livestock. I. Uh, rabbits, dogs, horses, you name it. I took care of it. And then I wanted more as far as learning to ride. I wanted to become like the ultimate equestrian, the ultimate professional right. and riding because it was, it, it's expensive. At the end of the day, to learn how to ride and to ride properly, you have to be around the right people with the right horses and the right barns. And Cheyenne was in that area, and I glued on to him. Like, there was, I I did any work. I mean, Mm -hmm. any work that I could get to take a lesson, I was doing. So, yeah, I would help with the lessons that he did, and I would help him with the training horses. And then I was running, you know, I was running my own little side businesses. So, I had a couple of ranches that I took care of consistently. And then I was going to college full time. Okay. Wow. <laughs> and it was a lot. He had a lot of customers and they were very demanding. And it was my first kind of real experience into a, a higher level of horses. We're talking people who have, you know, purebred horses that they're doing competition dressage with or competition with and upper level, uh, upper level movements. And, and the, the regiments are a lot different. You know, the training is a lot different and right. I really appreciated that. But it also it made me miss you know Cheyenne, mm-hmm. you know three weeks out. I'm like, huh, something's missing. Hmm. You know, there's there's that that fun component that I was missing. So I just made a decision and said, yeah, I know what I want. Let's marry the man.
0: <laughs> Up until that point, had you had the two of you been like on a date or like was there a conversation Never. before that?
1: Never. Well, Never. No.
2: I never hit on her once, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to dissuade her from her idea as well.
1: So you
0: said the was, let's, was,
2: a, it was futile as this say.
0: <laughs> you said let's let's readdress this in six months. And then you yeah. said and then after that, then the you two got married.
2: Well, we didn't get married right away. I'm not the kind of person that just gets hooked up and get married. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: So that was what I never 2000. So that was in 2008 when okay. I asked you to marry me. Yeah, or, yeah 2008. Yeah. And then we didn't get married till 2011. Gotcha. So, so cool. Well, officially, we had already been well on and together and I was not letting this fish go anywhere (laughs) 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 that's amazing
0: I wanted to take a minute and say a huge thank you to our sponsor today, FormaHoof. If you haven't heard of FormaHoof before, our wonderful episode, episode 124 with Rob Stevenson is amazing and you get all the details of FormaHoof, but in a nutshell, FormaHoof is the fastest and most effective way to solve a wide range of hoof pathologies, improve your horse's long-term soundness and to instantly reduce hoof pain without drugs. FormaHoof gives farriers and vets and equine practitioners a proven and reusable solution that delivers fast, measurable results that are replicable time and time again. The unique patented liquid fit forma hoof molding process creates a non invasive three dimensional protective and supportive overlay right on the horse's hoof by creating the form of a perfectly healthy balanced hoof. FormaHoof delivers immediate results, assisting farriers in the fight against a multitude of hoof-related disorders, from laminitis, to white line disease, to hoof cracks, high-low syndrome, and full limb deformities. To find out more information, please visit their website at FormaHoof.com. That's F-O-R-M-A-H-O-O-F.com. Thank you so much, FormaHoof. All right, let's get back to the episode. Let's fast forward a bit and tell me a little bit about how the business and your training program and everything has been since COVID, because I I know there have been some shifts for the two of you.
2: Mm, Well, not really, as far as we're concerned.
1: Well, um, go back. COVID is so...
2: We just don't do the shows for the for the cups, the major cups, right now, oh. because there is no major cups, because there is a, a pretty much, you know, like going into Thailand. Thailand has done really well with COVID. I was very surprised. I've seen a lot of uh, solidarity among the Thai people, the Thai population, really helping each other. Never had a problem wearing a mask. I mean, though, really, some of them were wearing a mask. So asking the rest of the population, they're very, okay, Thai people, from what I've seen now, are Buddhist. Most of them are Buddhist, obviously. And they believe in karma. And I don't know what it is really in that religion that makes them being that way, but they actually really care about their neighbor, about the person on the other side of the aisle they really do so asking them to be considerate which is a rare thing these days to be considerate of one another is something that came pretty naturally to tie people so asking them to put a mask on their face was not a biggie it was not like in the states where people are going are oh, you taking my freedom away no everybody understood okay there's there is a problem there's a virus there is well there's a disease and wearing a mask will prevent contamination from other people it will slow it And people were really on board with that. So Thailand, as a country, decided to shut the borders. So all the cups, the events that we provide the shows for took a hit, obviously. Tourism took a hit, and we took a hit too, with not performing shows, which we normally perform yearly. There's quite a few big events, which we provide the shows for along with Mario Orochi, who was coming doing some shows as well. And these for the last year, we were not able to do any of it because all the, with also with AHS who hit right after COVID African horse sickness, which is a really nasty disease for horses. Mm-hmm. And it's 95% fatal. All the horses from Brunei were, all the polo horses from Brunei were stuck here. The people from Brunei could not come here. So everything was on hold and we're yeah. still on hold right now as it is. So we, we just keep training the horses. There's always, especially, I mean, when you do that kind of high level classical dressage and all the tricks that we do with it as well. There's always room for improvement. You know, you always get a horse who rears better or I will say a lavade better. There's always a horse who shafts or passages a little bit better than another or more animated or different cadence or a horse who sits better. We are trying to get busy. We are using the time to basically get all these horses to perform on an even plane. So we're trying to, obviously, some horses are better at doing garocha than others. Some horses bigger, some are smaller. So we we try to use, not not try to put a square peg into a round hole. What we're trying to do is to actually use the best quality of the horses and let them express themselves the best way they can in the things that we can use them for. Mm -hmm. But we try to, put all the major tricks, like sitting the horses and so on and so forth. We try to get all the horses to be able to do that. Yes. Got so it. we, we just spend the time to sharpen our blades pretty much. Mm-hmm. We just using the time for, for good thing. You know, we, we spend more time with the horses. We don't have so much, so much pressure right now with having any shows. So instead we're using the time to get these horses further than they were when they got, when they were here, when I mm-hmm. got here.
1: Definitely. Thailand is new to the horse world. Very, very new. So we have a lot of challenges already. The weather is unforgiving. It's hot. It's humid. And then there's just lack of, lack of different types of, You know feeds different types of professionals it's still a growing industry here and things are difficult to find and bring Mm -hmm. in and have you can't just go down to your local feed store or your tax store (laughs) and buy something yeah it just doesn't happen you
2: can't make a a
1: (laughs) (laughs) there there are a few tax stores here but because of tax and duty we're at 30 percent tax and duty so horse Mm. uh, a basic halter that you would go to the tax store and buy for ten bucks if you broke a halter, need a halter, you are you're ending up it's paying 100 90 bucks to a hundred dollars mm-hmm. easily. Wow. So it, it's those are just challenges. And then professionals, horse professionals, farriers. Farriers that's here good. are a rarity and a commodity. Wow. And
0: so how do we, you how do you get through that? I mean, because obviously that's so necessary.
1: Right. So when we got here, they were using the Thai farriers because in Thailand, legally, if a Thai person can do the job, you can't work here as a foreigner. And that's fair. And the Thai farriers, unfortunately, are trained mostly out of the military. So they they have this style of shoeing horses that's kind of a one shoe fits all Mm -hmm. kind of idea slam the shoe into submission and put it on the horse it's
2: it's there is no hot shoeing as some of them know about it they've done it before but they really like to beat the metal into submission you know onto their their t-post and try to make it fit on on the hoof and looks pretty Mm-hmm. And that's not yeah. what shoes are designed to do <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
1: So when we got here The horses were here already the, the Spanish horses had been here for a little while already And the Thai farriers had been taking care of it And unfortunately they were just going downhill mm. And through a series of different people And trying to talk through the horse community We were able to locate a farrier that He's South African And he's trained with some of the best. And uh, he's working out of Korea for the Korean racing industry. And so we would actually invite him over because from Korea to Thailand is a short little flight. And uh, he would come over and shoe our horses every four weeks. So he had been coming regularly for about a year and we were getting the horses on a pretty good right track. And then Shia and I have this belief that you know, if horses can be barefoot, it's better for them, especially where we are in the terrain that we work on. There's no reason to be shod all the time, all for all year. Mm-hmm. So COVID hit and that meant no more farrier coming from Korea every four weeks. Right, uh, Our borders shut down. Um, so that's where we got hit with COVID the hardest. The other places we got hit were the feed supply was getting stuck at different borders. So we had some challenges there. But our hardest was the farrier situation. And both Cheyenne and I are trained trimmers. I am I am not a farrier. But I as a kid, one of my jobs was trimming feet. I learned under some really great veterinarians that were both farriers and veterinarians. And I learned x-rays and How to trim and put my work into it. I learned from a lot of female farriers, which was really cool because when you're a small female working under a horse, you just have to use your tools a little bit better because we don't have the strength Mm -hmm. to be able to do anything with. So that was pretty amazing. So I'd been trimming for years, and it was the only way I could own my own horses and save a bit of money was trim them myself. So I started taking over trimming, but we had a couple of horses that have issues that trimming by itself would not help them in the long run. And that's when we kind of ran into Formal Hoof. I had came across a very, very early casting system as a kid or as a teenager when I was working on the vets. And so the idea of Formal Hoof was, was pretty interesting. And I sent an email. It was just a basic email that I sent to any company because Shipping things into Thailand can be a little bit weird and difficult. And I just sent an email to Formal Hoof and I was like, do you ship to Thailand? And literally in three minutes later, I got a reply. Yes, we do. What wow. can we help you with? So their service with Formal Hoof is really amazing. The next hour I was talking with Rob Stevenson and he was helping me size molds. And they were giving me information and I was like, yep, I think we can do this, Cheyenne.
2: And the thing is also like, I can slap a shoe on a horse, not a big deal either. The problem is we're in Thailand and these guys, the fairies that were here, not only were not the best fairies I've seen in my life, but they were also putting their nails way too low. So with the humidity and the horse getting obviously a shower or two a day, no rinse off, it didn't help. So the bacteria, it was like an invitation for all the bacteria you know, go on holiday into some uh, brand new horse's hoof and separate the hoof wall and then everything will crumble. So nails into, I don't really like nails into a, sh- into a horse to put nails and shoes on a horse if I don't have to. I have horses who perform at very high level in Grand Prix and all that stuff and never needed really to have the shoes on. Sometimes, I'm not saying that it's not necessary, sometimes it's a good idea to put shoes on, sure. But it's if you're going to do, even, even, even sometimes for long distance riding, there are horses who have their feet are so tough. They don't need shoes, right? it's just something people like to do. They, 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 they think, you know, like even here I, we had to fight, you know, I guess. but uh, I, I think that for me, you know, like the horse must have shoes, he's working, but we, we, I tried to explain a different way to look at it. So anyway, we agreed upon and saw the other side of the story and he was like, yeah, I guess you're right. So putting nails here in Thailand, the climate being tropical is not the greatest things you can do sure so going with something more like former hoof it was a much better idea and if you had contracted heels and if you have crushed heels you're never probably going to get that back with shoes because the way the pressure is applied onto the hoof right the former hoof is divides the pressure on the whole hoof so there is nothing that sustain more more pressure than not a part of the hoof and that's the great thing about it it actually lets the horse's hoof expand and contract at will and mighty was like i don't think i want to do that but i think i want to do that for my whole thing get my certification i said yeah you go ahead it will also give you more credibility you need to need to do something this is the thing i want you to do and she did and she's doing a great job with
1: it amazing Oh, so I also go by the name Miley. It's my middle name. It's just a little bit easier for people to say. I don't know why Desiree gets to be so difficult, especially <laughs> in Thailand. Um, so shy interchanges. So I just wanted to clarify. <laughs> yeah, so Formal Hoof has been a great tool in our barn. We, we have horses that it's the, the flexibility of it to be able to use it and fit it for many different ailments has been great. You know, I have horses with different feet, you know, that require different things and it's kind of been a nice one fit tool for each of those horses and just the
2: obviously we've got the vets you know come every time after that doing x-rays to check the angles and so on and so forth and it's working it's not just something yeah
1: we 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 have the we have the really good fortunate luck that we can invite a veterinarian and and do x-rays for us constantly to see the changes within a short period of time and some of the degree changes have been just amazing. Wow. Um, I think in or one of our fastest was almost a two degree change in the polymer angle on one of the horses in in three weeks.
0: You're kidding. It's amazing. From the
1: first application to the, the first x ray that we took. And, and that was that was pretty eye opening. And I, I send those case studies to form a hoof because I'm very surprised being in the horse industry for this long, how fast those results are actually coming through.
2: Mm-hmm. But it's not a magic wand.
1: Yeah, It's right. not
2: a Harry Potter type tool either. A lot of people tend to think that way. And we'd like to clarify that it is absolutely paramount to know how to balance a hoof properly, to trim a hoof properly, being able to do that with in with a good vet, who is mm-hmm. really good at having, well, good x-rays where pulling the angles of P1, P2, P3, And being able to help, so it's between the owner or the farrier and the vet, it's it's a team effort to get that going well. I have seen some horror stories with Fomahov because people just think, I'll just put the mole on it, put the thing and it's going to work. No, it's not a magic wand. It's not a Harry Potter thing. You still need to have a really... Well, you need to understand the hoof, be able to read the hoof if you do it yourself as an owner. And then yes, if you balance the hoof properly, you trim the horse properly, you understand how the hoof is growing, what the problem is and what you want to solve, yes. But the first thing you do is x-rays. With no shoes, proper x-ray, pull all the angles. From there on, you've got your, you can make a plan and then you can apply the formal hoof in relevance to what you're trying to achieve. And then you need to, again, until the issue is resolved or well on the way, you still need to have your vet come in and pull those x-rays and sit down together and look at the x-rays and see your improvement. And if there was a negative palmar angle, that palmar angle is changing in the right direction and so on and so forth. Also, when the former hoof cast is removed, don't touch it. Don't touch the frog. Don't touch all that stuff. Let it mm. be. It's going to look mushy. Yes. Well, probably less when the, temp, the, the zone is temperate. But here in Thailand, it's tropical. So yeah, it can look a bit mushy. Leave it. Leave it. Remove it in the afternoon. Leave it overnight. By the, by the morning, it will be hard again. It'll be hardened and it'll be fine because okay. it's keratin. It's like our nails. If you take a bath, your nails are going to get soft. Sure. Mm-hmm. But then, the next morning, they're nice and hard. Well, same thing with horses. So then you can start to work on the foot. Do not re- start to remove all the stuff under the hosts say, Oh my God! The frog, this, this, that. No, right.
0: no, no. Just,
2: just leave it. Leave it to dry. Put a bit of alcohol in there. Dry it up a little bit. Boom, done.
0: That's good to know. So that's yeah. important
2: to remember that balancing the hoof, trimming the hoof, is not a. It's side like business. This is this this is the business. First you trim properly. First you bounce then you balance properly. And then you can apply the former hoof. Mm-hmm. And there are ways that Miley now or Desiree has now, you know, uh, through trial and error really, try to use the rasp that has been recommended as well, but use a bit the rougher side of it to create a bit deeper groove that the former hoof will attach better. Mm. So not oh. so slick.
0: Yeah. Tell me who the ideal client, like the ideal horse, would be for as a candidate for formal hoof. Mm. The ideal
1: candidate. That's an interesting question. What I generally like using formal hoof on are horses that have poor hoof wall integrity and thin soles. Okay. And you see this commonly in horses that have maybe been shod continuously and unbalanced for, for majority of their working career. And now they just lost, lo- lost that hoof wall, lost that, you know, sole depth. Maybe they're a little flat footed and it's just really hard to trim that to get it back. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really hard to do that in a traditional metal shoe. And I, I feel that formal hoof is great for those horses just because it allows the foot to, to expand and contract and stress the way it needs to. It allows it to grow equally within itself in the way that the horse wants it to grow. And then it's protected. So you're not having those thin walls chip off or those, those you know, thin uh, soles get bruised while they're in the shoes. And it just gives them that time to rebuild all of that. Those those are my perfect candidates. Those are the horses I really like to, to use formal Hoof on because I see the results very, very quickly. And then if they, they have a good you know alignment already and there's not any other issues and they grow their walls out, they're also the first ones out of formal Hoof because now they can be on their own feet and, you, and using their own hoof to the best of their ability.
2: And it takes um, a while for this Soul depth to grow, obviously, but that's like, you know, playing guitar, you know, the first time your fingers hurt a little bit and then Mm -hmm. as you keep on doing it, you get callous on your finger. It's the same for horses. They start to, you you don't bring them on rocks, you know, hard rocks from one day to the the next, you don't. But, you know, if people can have, as an example, if they have a, a, a setup where they have a stall connected to a run, well, you just put the bedding that they normally usually have in their stall. And then in the run, you put like uh, a small size gravel, like a number 10 or a bit bigger than that, but nothing too crazy. But with a good, uh, a good say, seven inches of that stuff in there. And what, would it do, what it'll do, it won't bruise the horse's feet. But he'll start to be used to put pressure evenly, like a Chinese massage on their soul, if you like. Mm -hmm. So every time they want to go drink their water outside, they have to walk on that stuff. And then they walk back in their stall and they walk back out to drink and so on and so forth. Well, at the end of the day, they've walked a few miles (laughs) doing that. And you can grow soul depth by doing that very quickly. Very, very quickly. It's amazing yeah and i strongly believe we strongly believe that you know my grandpa also obviously you know the first thing he did is did shoots Mm. (laughs) he did big and you could see the soul and the integrity of the hoof reclaiming it's right we always think as humans we do a better job at fixing things well if it was the, the case we would do a much better job in managing nature most of the time we don't nature has a very funny way of taking things over and fixing itself in many ways but obviously if the shot was improperly shot for many years yes that's that's a big problem but for horses in general who are have a good shoe I mean a good foot a good alignment and maybe a little bit of crack here and there maybe changing their diet and putting in formal health you know if it's necessary it might be a good thing to do. But eventually trying, we are trying in, in, in the thing that we do is and I run fast, trust me. <laughs> it's <laughs> worse than that. So yeah, of course it doesn't it doesn't, you know, barefoot or shoes or never, you know, excuses or replaces, you know, your ability to be able to judge terrain. And if it's wet, if it's going to slip, if it's slippery mm-hmm. or whatsoever. But the gaining gaining back soul depth strength in the soul is going to make your horse so much happier mm-hmm. than every time walking on the stone and go ouch. and they can't do that in shoes it's impossible well mm-hmm. if you have to they, they go on rocks all the time and they've got shoes yet yeah, maybe but in for most people um going in the soft sand and then going on the road if they still step on the stone in there with shoes it's still gonna go out mm-hmm. so if the horse can be barefoot, their sole integrity, their, their hoof wall integrity will be much better. There will be less bacteria be able to go and sip through that and create havoc and white line separation and all that good stuff. And their sole will improve and will become stronger and thicker over time. Some people might say, oh, no, my horse was at same Souls. Yeah, no. Mm-hmm. Soles can grow <laughs> in yeah. thickness.
0: Yeah, Love it. Awesome. Well, Cheyenne and Desiree, thank you so much for taking the time and sharing a little bit of your life and, and all of the amazing knowledge you have, not just with your training, but also with your horse's feet and the care and your involvement with Formahoof. I think it's amazing what you're doing and I wish you two all the best.
1: Yeah, of course. Thank you. Thank you very much.